I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, we have about an hour, but you guys look like quite a sharp crowd. <laughs> so maybe we'll do less talking and get more questions. So do you think of questions? Yes, I, I'm Shahida Bari. I'm an academic um, at the University of the Arts London and I'm a broadcaster for the BBC Two and I'm your chair for this evening. And of course I'm talking to Vigdis Yacht um, and we're marking the publication of her novel Is Mother Dead? Um, Vigdis, as you know, is an award-winning Norwegian writer who's written over 20 novels, translated into many languages several translated into English, among them Long Live the Post Horn, in which a PR, I've just been reading this one, in which a PR consultant helps a trade union fight an EU postal directive. It's my kind of novel. Um, it's, it's been called A Joyful Story of Social Justice. Um, and more recently, Will and Testament, which sold over 150,000 copies in Norway, it received several awards, including the Norwegian Critics' Prize for Literature and the Norwegian Booksellers' Prize, as well as being nominated for the Nordic Council Literature Prize and the National Book Award, so a big deal. Um, and those of you who know it, it's a family saga about sibling disputes, parental relationships and abuse. It's, it's complex and impactful, and it gathered considerable attention and controversy from Vigdis's family, as well as the general audience. Today we're talking about the new book, um, also about frayed family relationships. Um, it's been described as a cat and mouse game of surveillance and psychological torment that develops between a middle-aged artist called Johanna, is it Johanna? Mm -hmm. Johanna and her estranged mother. Recently widowed and returned to Oslo after a long absence as she prepares for a retrospective of her artworks. The subject of her work is motherhood, which causes, which is a source of a dramatic rift between parent and child. Um, and now tantalizingly close in Oslo, Johanna thinks of her mother obsessively and stalks her home. Victor's welcome. Um, we're going to talk together and then we'll take questions, but we're going to start with a reading that you've selected for us. Um, would you, this is from the introduction, but feel free to say a few words if you would like to before you read. No, I can, I can just read, I think, okay. from the very beginning. She would contact me if mom died 
She has to, hasn't she? I called mom one evening. It was in the spring. I know that because the next day I went for a walk around Buraya with pucks and it was warm enough for us to sit on the bench by Ususun and eat our sandwiches. I had barely slept that night because of the phone call and I was so glad by seeing some, <clears throat> be seeing some one that morning and that someone was Pax. I was still shaking. I was ashamed to have called mom. It was against the rules and yet I'd done it. I'd promised myself I wouldn't and they wouldn't want me to anyway. Nor did she pick up the phone. The busy signal started the moment she declined the call. And yet I called her back. Why? I don't know. What was I hoping for? I don't know. And why this paralyzing shame? Thank you. Wow, what a beginning, right? Um, and what a premise for a book. Um, the, the, the blurb of the book you observe, to mother is to murder, or, or close enough. That's what Johanna thinks as she looks at the, the spelling of the two Norwegian words. And it turns out in English, mother and murderer not so are not so far <laughs> apart either. Um, what do you mean by that relationship between those two words? I think that um, man is always very ambivalent to the people you are depending on. And a child is always depending on the mother, the father, the primary caregiving person. Right. So, so, of course, that this, if you see a biologist, that's my editor. I always <laughs> have her here to, Very when I lack the, the English <laughs> words, so she can help me. And this mother, is, she's carrying this baby in nine months. Yeah. And she's feeding, um, um, the birth is painful, and it's just to the breast to have food. Yeah. And of course, that intuitively, this child knows that I'm depending totally to survive at this uh, person. And that's the kind of, and some mothers have never been loved, or parents have never been loved as much as they are loved by a child. And somebody will mm. um, stimulate that symbiosis, symbiosis because of they get so much from the love of the children. So it's not um, the other day I was in a cafe and watching this um, young mother with a little boy on five or six months. And then mother was going to the toilet and he started to cry, of course. And then the mother was smiling. Oh, I just walk away and he's crying. <laughs> so it's a kind of very ambivalent. And, and I think that the, the, question, the yeah. question in the book is, is mom dead? The question is rather, can a mother die? Yeah. No, she cannot, never inside the, the child. She's always uh, alive. Yes. And the question for Johanna is, what what happens when your mother 
severs that relationship. Even though she continues to be alive in you, what happens when your mother severs that relationship? Why, I, I think we already know, but, but tell me in your words, what, why did you want to write about this particular relationship? Um, it's easy to talk, easier to talk about it when I'm in London. Really? Um, yeah, why do you say that? Uh, no, because that it's not a secret in Norway right. that I don't have contact with my mother or my family. I can have contact with uh, my father is dead, but I have contact with my brother, and that's <laughs> that's very nice. But and and sometimes I have called like Johanna, yeah. and. Um, but mother never takes up the phone, picks up the phone. And I have felt so much ashamed. And I have been wondering about that shame. And when I start to write a novel, I always start with a kind of personal dilemma yes. or an ethical dilemma. But I, wouldn't, I would never write a novel about it if I didn't knew or uh, suspect that I uh, that I was sharing this dilemma with a lot of people, yes. and I think that in one way that uh, the sister and the mother they never take contact. They know she is back in the country after thirty years. They don't take contact with her, and when she phones or writes SMS or letters, they don't take contact with her. And in Johanna's mind, she feels so childish because she can't help it. She can't help it. She must stay in, in contact. She has, she has much contact with this desire in her. Yes. Uh, but they seem to be grown up. We have decided not to have contact and then we don't do anything. Yeah. So she feels childish in, in her in her feelings, um, uh, yeah, that yeah, her feelings taking over. Yeah. It's so difficult to interview Vigdis because I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm not going to ask the personal questions, but you elicit <laughs> the personal questions because the books do. So feel free to say no if you don't want to answer the personal questions. But when you say that you call your mother, mm. what do you want from her? I don't know. But I think I find out things by writing. Yes. And I think that when Johanna is coming back to her um, the, her childish home, uh, town, she is starting to think about her mother yes. as a young woman. And she finds out that the mother has had a very challenged, a very hard childhood. And she seems to understand that my mother has had a lot of pain, but untreated pain. Yes. And the people that have, um, uh, have untreated pain can be a kind of living dead. Yeah. And when Johanna understands this, she wants to help the mother to get rid of the pain, to re relieve the mother from the pain, and to re relieve herself. herself. So she has that. Um, hope, and I think that's very naive. Yeah. Uh, but still, you you can't you can't help your hopes. Okay. And and the first time I was interviewed by this book, after the, we had been on the stage, we were out eating, and then I had this big pizza, 
and I couldn't eat much of it. And then the, um, the, the servant were coming and asking uh, why I hadn't eaten. And I said, no, it's just too much, too late. And the interviewer said, that's Johanna as well. She's too much, too late. <laughs> and I think that's true. But yeah. we are childish, yeah. even though. And the longing for your parents can yes. be alive, uh, even though they are dead. Yes. So. Yeah. In a way, that is the perfect answer to the question, what do you want from your mother? And I'm going to come back to it because I think it's a question for all of us, whether our mothers are living or dead. What do we want from our mothers? And I don't know that we know the answer, but this book certainly takes us there. Let me ask you, let me take a step back, though, from the personal, even though I'm desperate to get to it. Um, did you do research for this book? Were you reading about mothers? No, 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 no. no. But I never do. I, you, I, I, no, I never do that. Um, but but it's, it's, it's a kind of, um, it's about my experience, my thoughts, but it, it is a novel. It's fiction. Yeah. Yeah. I have never done what Johanna Yeah, has. yeah. <laughs> um, it's also, we should say, I mean, you're already sold on this book. You should be. It's wonderful and, and hard emotionally. But we should also say, am I right to say this? It's a thriller too. There's an element of subterfuge. Johanna is hiding in the cedars and behind a car. She's surveying her mother. And at any moment, she might meet her or confront her or not. So it, is it right that it's not just, it couldn't simply be a memoir. This also has to have an element of mystery or, or thriller and suspense too. Yes, but I think that... Um, what Tension, it, at least. Yeah, but I think that um, Strindberg, in a play of Strindberg, it's called the dream play. There's a, this character going through uh, the play four times. And he's very, it's a lieutenant, he's very in love with Victoria in the theater. So he's coming the first time, you know, with flowers. Victoria, Victoria. She's not coming out. She's got he, Victoria, Victoria, third time. Victoria, Victoria. And the last time, the, the flowers are dead. And he's Victoria. Oh. And it's something that with, with to, to, to hope. And I think that what Johanna has to common with the, uh, the main um, figure in Will and Testament is that they are knocking on the door or a window to the family mm -hmm. and it's not open for them. So they're knocking on the door. It's not been open. And to hope and be uh, and, uh, and, and, and be uh, denied, it's, it's yes. so, uh, so uh, painful and exhausting. So at, uh, they have that in common that they seek that that the total rejection, yeah. rejection, obviously, mm. and that's what when Johanna is denied this conversation, yes. that would be very enlightening. Yeah, she thinks. Then she must, and she has this theory about the mother's pain and why, and to have to know. Yeah, she's. She's, you know, yeah. forcing herself into the mothers. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then afterwards, she can leave because it's a freedom in the resignation. 
In the in being accepting not knowing or not. No, no, but she knows. She finds out something. She does. Yes. She does she find some out something. Uh, yeah. Which she must something. Yeah. yeah. So so but but to to hold and be, um, and and it's so 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 it's freedom in the resignation. In the resignation. And I'm a little like both of these characters. Like the mother and Johanna. <laughs> no, no, like um, the, per, the main character in William Testament and, and yes. Johanna. And an example is that I was working at the theater as a young girl. And I was, of course, very much in love with this handsome actor. <laughs> and on a, a feast, a, a party, then I asked him, do you want to dance with me? No, no. Do you want oh. to dance with me? <laughs> Third time, do you want to and dance with me? And the flowers wilted. Yes. Yeah. And then I tried to be a psychiatrist. So, oh, you're, yes. you're nice with your feelings. Show a lot of feelings on the stage. But yes. are you afraid of feeling in real life? <laughs> and then he went to the toilet. And then he was coming out. I was like, you want to dance? And then he took my hair. So oh. I don't want to dance with you. And then it's very clear. Yeah. And, and it I, takes a, a yeah, while then. Yeah, but yeah. I think that it's um, when it, the, the room is enlightened yes. and you know how your circumstances are. Yeah. So rather to be, yeah. Yeah. I, we're laughing, but also I think we're on your side. Yeah. Right, we want him to dance. Why doesn't he want to dance with you? We want him to dance with you, and then we're angry at him when he's angry at you, and then feel terrible for you when that the, the resignation comes when you have to yeah, come and to you terms can walk after you give up hope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the book is also obviously this is a performer, and the book is um, full and wonderful. No, I, also... I help my English with my body. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it helps a lot, but the book is experimental too. There are. There are pages with just one line. I picked one out. Page 240 in this edition. Um, ah, so it's, you can just see one line. So I tell myself I have successfully rejected my mother. Ha ha, exclamation mark. And I wondered, tell me your thinking about this element of the book where there are longer passages and then there are just sort of almost mysterious lines like this. Uh, it's, I write very intuitively. So I don't have a, uh, it's, it just happens works. to be like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about Ruth, who is the other character in the book. Ruth is the sister. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is a really important, she's as important as a mother in some ways, because um, Johanna is thinking constantly about how Ruth is mediating the relationship between mm. her and her mother, whether uh, Ruth, Ruth is obstructing the relationship. And Ruth becomes the object of lots of speculation too. How, how is a, a sister relationship, having a sister too, is also complicated. How does a sister complicate the relationship between a mother and a daughter? Um, I think that um, children can be concurrentes. Um, Com com yeah, uh, competitors. Yes, and I think that sometimes the parents can stimulate the competition if they are not wise. Um, so I think that Johanna, it's so difficult for her to accept or to believe that the mother really doesn't want to see her, to ask her 30 years, 
How I, what have you done yeah. to Elioba? It's, it's unbelievable that, and then she finds out in her mind that it must be Ruth. Ruth is uh, the person who yeah. says to the mother, don't meet her. Yeah. Never remember how much pain she has um, yeah. caused her, all that kind of thing. So it's easier for Johanna to accept that Ruth, the competition yeah. person is um, the one that has the power in the relation because the mother is old. And, but also I think that when Johanna leaves as a, she's 22, 23, she leaves the town, she leaves the marriage, her studies, suddenly and during one hot summer, and then, of course, when she make that choice, the choices of the, the possibility to cho choose for Ruth is in um, she has she must be there when Johan has she must be there yeah. with her father and the mother. So maybe Ruth is angry about yeah. well, you you choose to yeah. to to go away. I'm stuck here. Yeah, Ruth has her, Ruth has her own pain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a kind she, Johanna has this paranoia about Ruth, but you, your writing also allows Ruth to have a humanity too, that you suspect that there is pain and suffering for Ruth too. L let me ask you about something slightly different. I was asking you about your experimental writing and you were being very modest that this is intuitive and I, I totally believe you that it is intuitive but there is a, a moment I want to talk about the fact that Johanna is an artist of mm -hmm, course mm -hmm. and the work she's a visual artist and the work that she produces uh, are often called mother and child or on themes of mother and children and uh, this is page 253 um, Johanna is is interrogating her own motivations so she um, asks herself, yes, of course, but be honest, didn't you have your own mother in mind when you made those works? No, it was the feeling of being a child I sought to express, etc., etc. And she's, she's sort of trying to, to wrestle with her own motivations. And then she says, or she reflects, but an artist must accept that a specific mother might get hurt and be offended by a work of art and not surprised by it especially when the mother in the painting has red hair, just like the artist's own mother. I'm going to talk about your humour in a moment, but I wanted to ask you about these questions because, of course, they're relevant to your work too. Must an artist accept that a specific person might be hurt and offended by their work? Yes, I think so. If you choose to write like I write or to paint like Johanna paint, you should not be surprised. Um, so you can choose not to do that kind of things, but it's very difficult if you should write a novel and not use the word mother, yes. father, brother, sister, family, because yes. one special family, sister, brother, then you must make uh, write novels about um, bicycles and uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, of course, yeah. you can. So, but, but I still that, think that um, they have been, my family has reacted very strongly uh, when the Will and Testament was published in, yes. um, in Norway. But what they mainly say is that 
They say that this is uh, this is us. You are writing about us. Yes. But we are not like that. No. no. Exactly. Because it's not you. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so so it's a kind of what they say is a kind of paradoxical. A paradoxical. So, parad- yes. yes. So so, but I think also what what I yes. in this novel I have the where I give myself the opportunity to comment on the relation between reality and art. Because there is a um, relation, of course, yes. but it's the transformation from experience to art. It's, very, it's, it's a very um, difficult, and it's, it's, yeah. um, but it is a transformation, and you feel it when it, yeah. it's, it's there. So to... to and I think that this this um, term reality fiction that they have used in in um, in uh, Norway about um, works like Karlu uh, yeah. the the the, um, the novel as a genre has always been very close to reality. Yeah. But still, of course, a, a novel on three hundred pages could never. Um, um, be I could, could never tell um, tell the whole story of a whole family. It's of course a kind of structure, literary structure. Yes. Um, and you can imagine to yourself if you wanted to write about your own life, even if that was your purpose, should you write about every person you went to ch- to, to the kindergarten with, everybody you went to school with. Every Christmas, all the family, the neighborhood. I would read that book, but you shouldn't. <laughs> but six novels, yeah. six um, volumes yes. are not enough. Yeah. So it, you have to choose. It, once you have written one sentence, you have made, started to make it structure. So yeah. it would, yeah. yeah. It, I'm, I'm throwing, I had all these mental rules in my head of questions not to ask you in this conversation. And meeting you and talking to you has made me throw those rules out the window. But you mentioned Nausgaard. And I, mentally mm-hmm. I was thinking it, it's difficult when women writers are likened to male writers. That, that, that's an impulse that we often have. Um, and the parallel to Nausgaard is often made in your case because of that kind of very scru- scru- detailed, scrupulous meticulous kind of self-inspection that you do. But I wonder what you think of that likeness. Is it? I think we are very different. We yes. are very different. But, but, um, um, but um, now we are very, very different. And yes. I, he's, yes. He's using, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's using, um, but I, I'm a big fan. I, I love his um, work. But he's, he's um, using name of, existence, um, people that exist. Yes. And I have never done that. But also that is not new at all. Dante in Divina Cubeda, he places his enemies on different stages in hell yes. with their real names. So it's, <laughs> so it's, all, it's, it's an old yes. trick, you know. Yeah. But what, has, what I think has made this... this um, I, I can start another way. In the Norwegian Writers' Union, we are 400 500 members, uh-huh. and these members, they are divorcing all the time. <laughs> and regularly, regularly after a divorce, there yeah. will be the writer... The divorce novel. ...will be uh, yeah, a divorce um, novel. And of course, some colleagues 
can recognize something, some situations, something like that. But because these novels are selling a hundred copies, right? Nobody cares. Oh, maybe the little family around them can be. Mm, I didn't like who wrote that, <laughs> but nobody cares. But what was happening with Klemskor? What has yes. the whole uh, whole of Norway was reading him, yes. and he was surprised of that. He didn't. I didn't expect that to happen. And because of the and because of the press was following up all these readers, they could and because he used name of existing His people, wife, yes, the Norwegian newspaper could go and to knock on the door to the teacher of yes. Knauskund and say, "What do you think about yes. him writing? You are a bad teacher." Horrendous. So yeah. it it it, it became a media phenomenon. Yeah, and yeah. I I think. That he was very surprised, and he didn't expect that. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting hearing you talk about this this branch of Norwegian divorce writing. <laughs> there should be, if Claire said, we need an LRB corner, which is just Norwegian divorce writing. Yeah. Because I want to ask you about. I mean, uh, it's always interesting to hear how Nalsgard is understood and regarded in Norway. But I, I'm interested in. If there is, if you feel like there is a wave of Norwegian writing that includes you, and whether that has a distinct flavour, who are you reading, for instance, right now? A Norwegian writer? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm 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 reading a lot of colleagues. I'm reading Knausgård, of course, yeah. and reading Hanne Hanne Østervik. Um, it's that names that come into my head. Yeah. But but uh, there are a lot of of um, good Norwegian writers. Yeah, yes. yeah. We need that shelf in the Ellaby bookshop. Um, <laughs> let me ask you a different question about um, about is mother dead? Um, I'm interested that the book doesn't have a question mark. Mm -hmm. Is mother dead? Is not a question. Or is it a question? No, but I can I can tell you how I got the title. Yeah. I was writing the novel and I was nearly finished. Then I was taking care of a little boy, four years old, and his mother was out running, and but he, she hadn't had. And this is a poor, poor mother. Uh -huh. She had a new iPhone, and he had taken her the mother's iPhone without me recognizing that, and then he smashed it on the bath floor, right. and he was terrified. What will happen now? Oh. And at the same time. I got a serious phone call, so he could listen. That I was saying, "Oh, oh no, oh no, oh, I'm I'm coming, just in a hurry." Oh, and then he said to me, with a kind of hope, but also afraid, <laughs> "Is mom dead?" Oh no, oh no. And then I with a kind of hope, <laughs> yeah, but also also afraid. But then That's all amazing. the ambivalence of yeah. the child, because then he would he would yeah. get he hardly look glib or then shifting in. Yeah, he wouldn't be reprimanded. Yeah, yeah. he wouldn't have to yeah. demand the consequences. Yeah. He wouldn't be reprimanded. Yeah. yeah, I still have that feeling sometimes with my. Life. Yeah, you can yeah, see it's that. Ama yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, that is an amazing. I'm that question. Where did your title come from? Sometimes is a boring question, but that is an amazing answer <laughs> to that question. The, the, the question I'm trying to get at is whether the way that you inspect Johanna's feelings 
and the obsessive way that she imagines and examines her mother and her estranged sister Root, that kind of self scrutiny and examination, um, is it's really grueling. She is it's hard. She's reflecting on her failings. Is it my fault? Have I made mistakes? Do I have regrets? And I wonder whether for you, if there is a moral or ethical impulse in your writing, is it just I'm exploring these emotions or is there a moral or an ethics to, to these relationships that you're exploring? No, not not really, not not like um, not like a um, moral. But I think that's one thing when Johanna is too much too late and yeah. maybe she's childish but we all we all are because the child we were is living in, is living in yeah. us but i was thinking about the shame that that johanna feeling after she has called her mother and then you know we are living in a culture where to be loved and to be that others should desire us yeah it's very dominating and we are, you know, self We are presenting ourselves because we want the other one to see us yeah. and desire us and perhaps also love, love us. And that's so much in our culture, so dominate in our culture, that even though two people fell in love mm. and get together as a couple, the, it's shameful to be the one that is SMS too much. Yeah. Nobody wants the one to, to love the most. Yeah, this is an Auden poem. I yeah, think. so there are kind of um, competition about to love a little bit less than there's the other. A bit of dignity yeah. or something in that. So, so yeah. there's a kind of off-loving process going on. And I was mm. in a kind of off-loving process in the start of a relationship with a man. Yeah. And then I suddenly read a poem of Rilke, Rani Maria Rilke, and, I, and it goes like this in English. To be loved is to perish. To love is to persist. To be loved is to burn up. To love is to shine with inquenchable flame. And I think that um, I said to myself when I read that, if I should be so lucky to experience love again, I'll go all the way. Yeah. But, 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 but it's vulnerable, of course. Yeah. But, but still, it's... Um, I, so in one way, I think that, that Johanna so much want to. It's a good thing. She isn't yes. proud yes. enough to say that, oh, I don't care. Yeah. She shows that she cares. Yeah. And we should, should all do, shouldn't we? Yeah. Or are, are we very weak when we show we care? Or, yeah. 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 So that's, I don't, I don't land it, I think, but I, I try maybe to say that. I can understand. I, I, I can understand yeah. her. Yeah. But she, she goes very too much, too, too much, late. too yeah. late. Yeah. But if you are that kind of person, and I'm not suggesting that you are, Victus, but if you are that kind of person who loves too much, is too much too late, 
You can't do anything about that, right? There's not something one can fix. Ah, uh, I don't know. You must. It's a lot of uh, psychiatrists, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been to a lot, and I'm, I'm still, I'm still mad. So, so no, but somebody says that we're all mad here. Can if if is writing tether therapy? Yes. No. Then. Writers would be healthy. Right. We are. We are not. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, let me. You've been so entertaining. I, we have to ask you about the humour. Um, the, the this is not to give anything away because there's a lot of things that are revealed as we go along. But there is a joke at the end where you say um, there are many ways to leave your mother more than fifty, which is obviously a bleak pun or on the song. Um, and is Mother Dead? If you hadn't already guessed it, is also a very funny book, not just agonising. And I wonder what the role of the comic is for you. What the, what 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 laughter and humour does for your writing and the way that you're thinking about these relationships. No, but I think that humour is very. So, Freud has written a whole book about the joke. Yes, it's very interesting because it's so much truth in humour. And I'm quoting a scene from Roy Andersson's film, oh, yeah. um, a Swedish filmmaker. And that's about two sad, um, not successful um, toll sellers. And they are sitting in a sad um, motel in, out in the woods in, in Sweden and haven't sold any toys. And then they have each uh, room each. And the one is playing this old folk song in Norwegian song. Dear Anna, if you want, be my wife and have a lot of kids with me. And then we will live in good days and in bad days. And, <laughs> and he's singing the last verse. He's playing that again and again and again. And then we will die and we will meet father and mother again. And he's playing that again and again and again. And the colleague was coming and knocking on the door and said, listen, what's happening here? And then you see the other one is crying oh, no. and crying and crying. He said, why are you crying? Because I don't want to meet mother and dad again <laughs> yeah. in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, that's, that's uh, humor, but yeah. still it's true. Who, who of you want to meet mother and father again in in heaven. Yeah, yeah. Very few of us, I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in the other place we, we have <laughs> yeah. to meet them. Um, you, I'm going to come to the. I'm going to come to you guys. I know you've got questions, so uh, get them ready. Um, but one, like you mentioned Freud, and earlier you said, "Oh, I didn't do any research for this." But this is a philosophical book. It's an existential book, and I wonder if there are other parts of your thinking, your philosophical reading, psychoanalytical reading. I thought of Melanie Klein often, Christi Julia Kristeva, um, Kierkegaard is obviously... Kierkegaard, yeah. yeah, Kierkegaard, of course, yeah. is the one. Tell, tell me about that. No, um, it's, it's difficult to, to explain in English for me because it's a difficult uh, philosopher. But he's, uh, he's saying something that to, to be... A living person on the earth, it's a big thing. Yeah. So we are you a split second in the big time, you are a person. And it's a 
en oppgave. It's a gift and um, oppgave. Hva heter det? A task. A task. And in, in Norwegian, a gift and a task is almost the same word. Right. And he said that, so you must be, the little time you have, must use, be a human being yeah. with all your indelighet, all your passion and all your responsibility. And he said that it's all, so many people living in the basement in themselves. Even though it's, it's empty places, in the high floors where the view is yeah. exceptional and, um, uh, and the perspective is evigheten, the eternity. eternity. Yeah. So I try often to get my persons, my character I'm writing, up from the basement up to the higher levels. Yeah. And then I'm using... In, 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 and I can t tell a little, a little story about when I was in a little church in Armenia and I was a stone church, very little. I was the only person there and I was um, um, uh, taking a light on. Candle? Candle, yeah. And uh, I was thinking about the people I care for and then the flame was shivering and it was still. Or is there wind? Also, trek for a little step. The breeze or wind? Is that, uh, yeah. No, it's my was my breath. <laughs> and then I understood a very Kierkegaard yeah. thought: just by living, just by breathing, I'm getting things to move. And that's a big task and a yeah. big responsibility that you just by living to be together with other, are moving. And we know, all of us, that one person, a new person can come into a room and the room will change. Yeah. Big responsibility yeah. to be a human being on the earth, but still also a big um, possibility. So responsibility and possibility. Yes. And so I think that he's writing. So I, 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 I just love him and when yeah. I'm very depressed and I often are <laughs> then I read him Me and too. I yeah, yeah. So I'm with you I'm yeah. with you on that I'm going to come to the audience but I want to come back to that question about when you call your mother does she know it's you do you think she knows it's you um I think I'll say something that maybe it's not I think she hope it's me mm. I think or I, maybe I tell myself this because it's a good and warming thought i think she really wants but she has no she's prouder than me yeah she must be curious yeah she must be curious yeah i'm so curious yeah on her life yeah so but it, it, impossible not to be curious yes or, or yeah. I, don't, I don't know thank you for that answer <laughs> Hello listeners, the London Review of Books has just launched a new subscription podcast called Close Readings. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year, you can access all our Close Readings series. This year, we have ones on classical literature with Emily Wilson and Thomas Jones, medieval literature with Irina Dumitrescu and Mary Wellesley, and 19th and 20th century literature with Mark Ford and Seamus Perry. Each series has 12 episodes, so you'll receive a new episode from each one every month 
and you can listen in most podcast apps. To sign up, go to lrb.me forward slash close readings or click on the link in the description. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's get questions, shall we? Um, people have questions, I imagine. Don't worry, I've got lots of questions. Really impertinent ones like that one. But if you have questions, then that's excellent. Hi, Vigdis. Hi. Um, um thank you for that both of you it was really interesting um i'm really curious about the fact that you've been a high profile writer in norway for a really 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 long time and then it's only in the last few years unless i'm mistaken it's only in the last kind of three four years that your work has been translated into english and has kind of found that particular kind of international audience and I wonder if you feel that that has affected your relationship with your work. I mean, I thought it was interesting what you said earlier about how you can talk more easily about some of these subjects in, you know, when you're here than in, in Norway. Um, and I wondered, yeah, whether, it, whether it's affected your kind of relationship with your work at all or, I don't know, whether it's been, whether it's, whether it's elicited like different kinds of reactions than you would have expected uh, whether you've got your work has got different kinds of reactions in in English than than in Norwegian or in other languages. Yes, I I I don't know so much. I don't read so much about what what are writing um, what people or critics are writing about my books in in other countries. So I'm focusing very much on my new work. So I I, I when I'm finished a book, you know, I leave it in a way. I leave it to live its own life, and I start to work on something else. Um, so, so no, it hasn't had impact on my working and my way of working at all. But what is interesting is that um, I have this conversation and discussion with my, my translator, of course, mm -hmm. and then I learn so much about other cultures. And that's very, very interesting because she must, you know, she must, Charlotte Bar. Yeah, yeah, she must, you know, try to find the right words to communicate with the English readers. Yeah. And then I learned so much about it. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting and challenging because I know to, to say to, with the Ludwig Wittgenstein, to learn a language is to learn a form of living. Yeah. So it's uh, language is so exis uh, exis um, existential. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, to us and but i vilken grad but how how important the language is um for our lives it's it's very interesting yes yeah yeah nice question really nice answer i think too other questions thank you um I'm really interested in the way that in many of your novels, there's sort of, I don't know if it's a conscious thing or like they just, they're just in the forefront of your mind, but like in different ways, like in a house in Norway, or these are the ones that are translated into English, but in a house in Norway, a lot of it has to do with like a Polish sort of immigrant. And then in Will and Testament, I think she goes on, or maybe that's in Long of the Posthorn, she goes on vacation and she sees a lot of refugees in Paris. And in Will and Testament, there's a lot about like um, relating to kind of Palestinians and like ha like casting her family as Israelis and Palestinians. And I just wonder like, is that something that you do consciously or is this just like something in your day-to-day -day life or I don't know? No, it's very uh, consciously um, because uh, we live in a very, very difficult world. And everybody asks themselves, I guess, what can I do? And still we don't do what we think we should do. And then we also feel ashamed because mm. of that. And then, so, so it's a kind of bad circle some, sometimes. And we must change that. We must change that. It's so obvious. And to be conscious about the mechanism, is, it's, it's just a place to start. So I think that, for example, in, in um, a house in Norway, I have had that kind of a conflict mm. with a tenant, and that's, she has, Alma has. But what she experiences, because she's... Nearly, um, is, this is tenant and um, the landlord, landlord yeah. who are quarreling. And it's a very interesting um, relation because in, for example, when I'm making a deal, economical deal with my publishing house, um, then we are not on the same um, yeah. log um, team. Yeah. But when we are selling the book and getting it out, we are a team. But in the tenant and the landlord, it's a poorly economic um, relation, nothing else. But then, uh, I, I shall not tell about the whole story, but uh, they are fighting when she wants to rise the, um, the, the lion. Yeah. The rent, yeah, yeah, where is the rent? And, and the tenant stopped to pay, all, all that kind of thing. But what she and they have really good fighting. You are living here without paying me. Yeah. And she has the feeling that they are stealing money from me. Every day they are living there without paying. They are stealing money. It's mine. It's mine. And they have lived here, a, a single mom with a, with a child for seven years. And they finally have gone. She goes into the apartment, little apartment, and she sees, you know, what you carry a plastic um, thing you have on the toilet so that small children yeah. can learn to go to the toilet. Because when she was it, she was pregnant and she has did seven-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. And then she find a doll 
And she suddenly understood that this has been a childhood home. Yeah. And nobody knows a childhood home like a child because it's tasting. Yeah. The relations are yeah. intimate. And then also that uh, she remember and she is then thinking about her own childish home and how afraid she was of strange grown-up people mm -hmm. and especially angry yeah. um, 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 grown-up people. And she understands that she has been... Uh, She's been... It's uh, a ghost. A ghost in the little girl's life and that she will live as a ghost in that little girl's life for the rest of that person's life. So, but she doesn't understand that. Yeah. She's, she's caught by the, the fighting and want to win. So I, I, want, to, I want to change my characters. Um, and I want to, first of all, I want to change myself. Yeah. It's difficult. That's a that's a house in Norway, which yep. was from 2015, and that's been translated into English. I haven't it's the one I haven't read yet, but now I'm desperate to. Um, let's get another question. There was one. There was one at the back first, and then I'll come to you. So I'm really making Claire work right in the back far corner, and then in front as well. Thank you. Um, first of all, just make a comment, and then I ask my question. There is a saying, psychoanalysis, that one can never get rid of the mother. The best we can do for those who moved overseas is to coalesce. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I ask you uh, a personal question. Um, have you been in psychoanalysis or through a work of analysis yourself? Yes. Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> Many years. It's very, very interesting. Very interesting. But we have a, um, something we say in, in Norway, at least I say, that you can inherit pain if it's not treated. And that's, you, we have a saying that I got a problem from my mother, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I gave it to my children. <laughs> and that's a very... <laughs> and that's very a, generous. That's a, <laughs> So that's a mechanism that we should be conscious about and to try to treat our own pain so we don't give them away to our children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. There was another question just in front. Hi, I just wondered um, if, the, if the issue of um, estranged daughters is one that you will continue returning to in future work, or do you feel like there is more territory to explore there for you in future novels? Oh, I'm a little bit tired of bad families I can. <laughs> uh, but but still I think that's I think that uh, in a in a long authorship you are often uh, can you say treated no you say behandle you behandle but behandle you you treat the same chapter but from many uh, perspectives right my new idea is different. So, so I, um, maybe I'll come back in some, some years and maybe when I've talked with mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have you back with that one. Um, are, there, are there any more questions? There's one right over there. Hi. Hi. 
In uh, Posthorn, you write about a pretty bitter struggle of postal workers in Norway. Mm. Um, it's strange for a novelist to include, you know, working class struggles in their novel. I can only think of Bukowski, Charles Bukowski, mm -hmm. who wrote Post Office. Mm -hmm. What led you to write on that struggle? Great question. Yeah, it was, it was... Sorry, I'm a postal worker in Britain. Oh, so yeah, that's, okay. I oh, yeah. that's nice. Thank you. Uh, I think I was, um, I was very Kierkegaard-inspired because uh, the, the communication, um, consultant, communication consultant with the main character, she has a kind of dead language. If you want to have your cases in the yeah. media, must have conflict. <laughs> and that kind of, at that time, I was together with a communication consultant. Ah, okay. And I, he was using his one. And I think it's a dead language. You don't feel anything. You don't, it, it's some, yeah. and how can I come? And then I, I will write about a, Communication consultant with a dad. You have to do that. You have to do that to get you into the media to have it on the program and radio. And then, then I said, but and then I want her to wake up, to change, to have a living language. And then, then I, she couldn't work for um, for a company that make. Uh, nail polish or something like that, or perfume. It must, sh sh the task for her must to change her um, uh, language yeah. must be to work with something very important, very important. Somehow, the civilization, yeah. the, the, the development of civilization as the post, uh, post um, system is so then I contacted, and but it's also very correct because at the um, workers' party in Norway, they wanted the the third EU directive to go through, but the people on the the, the grand Around, level yeah. in the party was denying. And one, I want to say that one of the one that. There was a very young man from Hordaland, up in North, in, in Norway. He held that perf so speech about yeah. uh, about the post system, and it was so moving. Yeah. So a talented, beautiful young man, and he changed the meeting, and they won. So Störe and, and the Prime Minister and the, they must go with a veto to Brussels. But this guy, he was shot at the Utøya, the 22nd of... Wow. A, a big political talent was killed. Oh my God. But I asked his parent if I could refer, refer to his, his speech and they very much wanted me to do that. Was he murdered? Murdered, yes. Yeah, yeah, murdered. Yeah. Not yes. on account of that case, but the, yeah. uh, the terror on uh, 22nd of July in, in Norway. Oh, I see. Oh, my gosh. Shot. 
My goodness. Yeah. Wow. On the camp of the, 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 the yeah. young organization of the workers party in Norway. That's shocking. So, so it's a kind of very, in one way, it's very realistic novel about the process because I was together with the communication council that worked with the post, um, uh, um, post, um, Fagforeningen, uh, Fagforbundet, the union of the post workers. So it's very realistic. Yeah. Did you like? Did you like the novel, sir? That's good to hear, isn't it? It's over there. Long live the post. Um, gosh, what an amazing story! Is do we have time? One more question, if there is one. I really love your books, and I love how you write about families and trauma. But um, I feel like we've been talking a lot about mothers, but obviously in Will and Testament, the main abuser is the father. And I'm just curious if you, how you write about the matriarchy versus the patriarchy, and if you think about it in a gendered way, and how that influences your writing. Yes, um, yes, it's it's a uh, um, it's a very difficult uh, question. And I, it's a lot to say about it. But when you mentioning Will and Testament, I have to say one thing because it, what I think is worth thinking about that um, then it's a, it's a novel partly about um, sexual abuse, but then you have the situation. It's so difficult. You have a grown-up daughter saying to the family, "My father did so and so." When, with me when I was a kid. The father says, looking at the family, no, I did not. Do you think I could do such a thing? And there's no evidence at the BBC, no proofs. You must understand how easy it is, how tempting it is to believe in the father. Because if you, if you believe in the, the grown-up um, siblings, you know, the sister, can they celebrate Christmas? Can they celebrate father's uh, birthday? Are they going to, to, to talk with the rest of the family, the neighborhood? It opens a big black hole of impossibility yeah. if you choose to believe in the daughter. But if you believe in the father, Everything can continue as before. You can say, you can look upon that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Choose as a kind of to, to, to save the rest of the family. And it's a kind of B effect that you lose the one, the one sister. So that's why 99,9% .9 of people confronting their family about that kind of uh, unclogging, they are not believed. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's very interesting. But still, in the Will of Testament, 
many has commented on that, that Bariglot, the main character, is more angry on her mother. Yes, and that's why, that's because the father has, as Bariglot says, in a way, he has, his, he has guilt in his, it's written guilt here. He's not a happy man. But the mother is wanting her. Can you come into Christmas as a normal family? She's not, so she's not taking it seriously. But her father takes it seriously in, in one way. So I think that, uh, that's uh, the mother um, insists to, to, to behave as nothing has been said, nothing has happened. And that's what is so difficult to bear for, for, for Baridot. And that's why she's angry on the mother, because mother pretend nothing has happened. Do I have to tell you again what I said? Papa, Papa, come here, can't you come so we can be in a normal family? Yeah. So that's why. I don't know if it was a real um, question, but I think that's a kind of dynamic in, in, in yes. that kind of conflicts. Thank you for asking that question. We're going to close with a, a final reading. Um, and it's a very short one. It's page 313 of the book. In Rembrandt's painting, Return of the Prodigal Son, the younger son kneels humbly in front of his aged, grey-bed father as he begs for forgiveness for leaving him. He understands he is no longer worthy to be his son, but asks instead to be his servant. The father places his hands on his son's shoulders. They radiate unconditional love, and his face beams with deep paternal joy. The irreplaceable child he had lost has been giving back to him. It's beautiful, but it doesn't belong to the human sphere. Rembrandt's father represents God and shows us how God welcomes all lost sinners, the greatness of God's mercy. But if our earthly father and earthly mother's mother were anything like God, there would be had been no need for us to invent him. So there's nothing that painting can teach you. What would that be? To be humble, to yield. If I could meet her without being frightened or doubting, not proud of my success or vengeful, but completely humble and trusting, with a great devotion and see mom, mom through the eyes of a child, a gaze that entrusts my entire destiny to her, the noise of the traffic would still, the rustling of the priest would keys. We would be surrounded by total silence and she would be unable to resist. Having the courage to do that. She hasn't. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Thank Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.